helpful show for all of our listeners. I know that we're ending in a different place than where we started, and I have to take full accountability and apologize for that. I have to admit, this was my first time doing anything related to a podcast, and it's been a really enjoyable experience for the most part. Um, I'll go into more detail of how I feel more recently, but going back to the beginning. So when my lovely Instagram friend Elizabeth started her own podcast, she is the main person who inspired me to think, hey, if one mom can do it, can I do it? Is it possible? And she's really the one that empowered me and said, yes, yes, you can. Like, and she didn't gatekeep. She told me what she was using. She told me how she did it. And I mean, graded. I'm way more of a low budget type of person. So we didn't do it the same way. Um, But I am happy at where I am today. I am so proud of the guests that I was able to come in contact with, speak to. I mean, there's even a few guests that you wouldn't even know that, you know, the schedules conflicted. There was a lot of cool people that I, that submitted to my guest form that I wanted to talk with. There's a lot of cool people that, you know, reached out to me. It was definitely a learning curve because I don't have the highest grade quality computer. I'm working off a little laptop here, but (laughs) I'm so grateful that people were able to struggle along with me, but support me on this journey. And, you know, initially for the Neuroforming Parent account, it was just out of rage. I was very unhappy. I was very upset. I was very lost. I didn't know how to process all the emotions I was feeling. And definitely rage posting helped me process those feelings. It helped me realize that I'm not a fraud. I'm not an imposter. I am a parent and I know what I'm doing. And I don't need validation from other people to know what I'm doing. I look at my child's face. I, when I see my children are happy, I know I'm doing the right thing. And I know that's not easy for everybody. I hope going forward, it does become easier, but I'm really grateful for this community for the time that I needed it. Uh, Because honestly, prior to, well, even when I first became pregnant, I wasn't huge on social media. Like in my growing up experience, I had almost been burnt out of social media from the MySpace days. Now I did, I would, I probably girl boss too hard. That's my problem because I loved, I, I wouldn't even say I knew how to code. I taught myself how to copy and paste certain codes, but I loved customizing my profile. I loved coordinating a certain song to my profile, to my profile picture. It was just very much an expressive environment for me. And what got me was once my parents were on MySpace, I said, ah, no, thank you. And I deleted my MySpace, which in retrospect, I am really thankful for my young teenage self because none of my embarrassing posts have come to haunt me. But 
I remember everybody was getting Facebook and I was like, I'm tired of MySpace. I didn't want Facebook. So where did I go? Tumblr. I I wouldn't say I was like a Tumblr girly. I was not dyeing my hair blue. I was not taking the cool pictures. I didn't have a cool camera. I had like the crappiest little digital camera, but I had fun. I would engage with people. It was very artistic. It was very creative. It was very cathartic. And something about a collective community. And I would even argue, you know, there are differences in person and online, but it's so inviting and it's a refuge for the world. Because at the time that I joined Tumblr, we were still in a very much USA was which we're seeing again now, but yeehaw, let's invade everywhere and pillage and spread colonialism, but not say colonialism. Um, so that wasn't something I subscribed to. So Tumblr was definitely my refuge. And then once everybody was on it, what do we do when we want to rebel? Delete it. And also thankful for that because none of those posts came back to haunt me. Um, So really, it was when I became a personal trainer in my 20s is when I had to get a Facebook because I had to market for the gym that I worked for. And I became the social media manager. And I would say I'm not bad at it. But the problem is just like with writing, stuff that I'm good at isn't always enjoyable, especially when it's for a job. If it's not a hobby, it's not something I enjoy, but I am, I would have to say I am good at making cute little infographics. I'm, it's enjoyable. I love Adobe Express for that reason. But when it comes to my personal life, I didn't exactly like sharing so many pictures or allowing people into my life that probably wouldn't be my life any otherwise, or almost giving a window into my world and I didn't feel like they deserved it or earned it so I did delete my Facebook and then for a little while I only had Instagram and I liked Instagram at that time because I was a new mom and you know new moms it's a baby this baby that and I loved the fellow moms that were very creative like photographers where they would create a baby scene and they would also document the milestones and it was like a scrapbooking project so I did do those like ooh, like all the monthly milestones and everything but it's really cool to look back on now um for my daughter like if she wants to look back at it but also I mean it probably was way too many photos but I never did it publicly I Still always felt like, oh, I don't know if she'll want those pictures out there. But it's funny because me and my sister still cringe at the thought. But like our mom, my mom had whole photo albums of us at every stage of our life. And I mean, there were some, you know, bathing suit, not bathing suit photos that we were like, can you rip those up, please? Um, But it is an interesting time as a parent because you don't want to forget these memories, even though you know mom brain attacks you. And I think social media does make that easier. Like my husband has the luxury because he doesn't have this. I don't even know if it's rejection sensitivity or just like this urge impulse to rebel. But he has all those memories. I like I use Shutterfly in my personal life for that reason. 
So I can just upload photos there. And if I need to order some, I can. But I deleted that Instagram too. And it's like a common theme in my life is like as soon as I start a new chapter, I like to close it or finish it um, and then move on. And I haven't really realized that until looking back in retrospect. But when it comes to social media recently, what's fueled me is I largely dropped out of social media after I had my son just because we posted all the general, you know, birth pictures. And then I just wanted time for me, my husband and my kids to hang out. And coincidentally, there was COVID. So we did get that lockdown time too. And for that time, I did go back on Tumblr. I, I mean, it's since deleted, but it was nice to kind of revisit that. And it was funny because there was a lot of moms at the same time revisiting that blog lifestyle. And I think the problem or the conflict that I have with so many blogs is that unfortunately there are a lot of really good content creators, really good hardworking moms. And when you're at home and you have your obligation is to be the caregiver first, right? So but you're trying to also not just contribute monetary for the household, but you want autonomy. And I didn't realize how ingrained that is in my brain until me and my husband rewatched an episode of Home Improvement. And that's exactly what the mom says. She like I think it's like on episode one or two, she has a job interview and her husband's like, why? Like I make them enough for you to stay home. Why do you need to work outside the home? And she's like, you don't get it. I need autonomy. I need something to make me feel like I'm productive, like I'm a human. I can't just be this satellite to our family where, you know, everybody else needs me and none of my needs are getting met. And I think there's a unique part in the 80s and 90s of sitcoms and TV shows where they talk about that in like a tongue in cheek way, almost like in a comedic like ha ha ha. Yeah, right way. But it's true. I I think it's human to want to create. I think it's human to want to be productive. And that's an aspect that a lot of people forget, especially in neurodiversity, because if you have a disability, people think, oh, well, if you get, you know, disability, short-term disability, long-term disability, you're on vacation. You should love that, right? But if you talk to the people that are disabled or you even temporarily or long-term, if you don't do something in the meantime, like a handicraft, if you learn a hobby or if you put some if you have some kind of output, you need that to feel good about yourself. And looking back, that's why I wish more parents advocated to keep arts in schools, to keep music in schools because yes, sports can be a wonderful outlet, but you need multiple ways and opportunities to have an outlet because you might become disabled in one area. Let's say you hurt your knee and you can't do sports. Maybe you were really good at singing and this is your opportunity to learn. Maybe you're really good at an instrument. Maybe this is your time to learn piano, guitar. And to restrict that opportunity to diversify your portfolio is very sad for me to think about. 
So to get back on track. So I am perfectly okay being off social media. I am grateful that I don't have to rely on this for money. I don't want to knock. I deeply respect and envy moms and content creators that can use these platforms to build income. I don't think that's for me. I I'll be fully honest on this podcast. It's only made like $3 and I can't cash anything out until it makes $10. So what's the point? If something is more valuable when it's free, why would I try to cash in? So I'm going to keep this podcast up. I hope it stays up. I want it to be like a capsule collection of thoughts at this moment in time. And something's been nagging at my brain for a while now and telling me like, hey, diversify, hey, diversify. And a lot, I've seen so much negativity on Facebook. So yes, I recently deleted my Facebook. I don't, I think it's attached to the um, Neuroaffirming Parent page. So it might come down to, um, but honestly, I only had like 300 followers. It's not a big deal. Um, like nobody cares. Um, my biggest following was on Instagram. We got what? 2000 plus followers. And I'm so grateful for that. Like that was hard work. That was, I don't even think I girl boss too hard. I think I girl bossed efficiently. Um, <laughs> but I do feel myself falling into this trap or trope of, I have to still fit into this neurotypical boundary. And it is conflicting internally. And I feel stifled. I feel like I can't grow as much as I wanted to. So an example would be, I I have to only blame myself. I mean, even if I think it's the right thing, it's maybe I shouldn't have started posting so much about, yay, human rights um, recently at this time. But something is telling me internally I need to. I have to. Um, so in the recent weeks, you might have noticed that my social media changed and I started posting more for human rights. And it's directly related to the situation happening in Palestine and Gaza. Um, and I say Palestine because when we talk about Middle East, or we should be saying Western Asia, Israel has historically been closest to Jerusalem, the city, and it's supposed to be inviting for all type of people because we, all humans came from that land. All humans, in my personal opinion, should be protecting that land, but that's not happening. And I think a lot of people don't realize like my views definitely have been indoctrinated in me because of my state. Are the only president to come from my state? President Jimmy Carter. What did he write a book on? Palestine. What did he call it? Apartheid. What does he fight for today? Human rights. And I visited his library. It's a wonderful place to go. You get to learn about his humanitarianism. You get to learn about how he deeply does practice his Christian values and not in the yeehaw American Republican Jesus way. And for me, it definitely comes from because he came from rural America. So he's not far from understanding how it is to struggle. And also, 
he values literacy. They still have like his paperwork and his books as a child in a little house in Plains, Georgia, where he got awards for reading the most books in school, which is probably rare for his time frame. And he hasn't really shifted from that idea. Now he's not perfect, but he is our last president that had solar panels in the White House. He did do a lot of things that we should be doing today, but we're not because of lovely capitalism. But my fear is that what we're witnessing online in this re- recent weeks, and this is recording during the week, well, today's October 19th, but this started pretty much last week because um, the conflict escalated. And people don't realize that millennials like myself, we notice that this is going on for our almost entire life. The same conflict, the same language was going on in 2002. Israel was on the offensive, blamed an organization they designated a terrorist, and at the same time, you see all these white, rich men with real estate interests and developmental plans They capitalize on this and they see opportunity. And, you know, in most of my life, I'll say, you know, hate the player, don't hate the game. But when we are complicit in the game, I have to hate the game, too. And I'm a product of colonialism. I'm a product of imperialism. You could probably say I'm a product of orientalism uh, because I am a brown person. I have been subject to racism. I've witnessed racism. I've been subject to being considered exotic. And it's just objectification. It is not appealing. It is not nice. And I see the same exploitation happening in neurodiversity. I see the same dichotomy happening in neurodiversity because the way people treat lighter skin Middle Eastern people as just like we treat white supremacy in America as worthy of human rights is the same as we treat a fully able-bodied neurotypical person and we equate them as they are more worthy of human rights. And we know that's not true. Diversity and adaptivity is what makes humans powerful. You need creativity and diversity to breed innovation. And when you de- when you dehumanize somebody, and you look at them only as other, and you only see a black African-American person, or you only see a brown Arab person, or you only see a neurodivergent broken person, you start to categorize this in your mind as, oh, well, it's okay to other them because they're subhuman. They are less of a human. And that dichotomy sticks straight out at me and I can't ignore it. I cannot. And it's probably my dyslexic thinking where I see the connection and I can't break from it. And right now, the world online, if you are a rich white person, you see real estate in Gaza. If you are a poor person, I would say of any race, you see genocide. And I'm sad that our media doesn't see it that way 
And I know it's because of capitalism, because in my lifetime, we don't have as in many independent news sources. We don't have as many true journalists. Um, I have family members that want to go to school for journalism and they're being told today it's going to be gone. Chat GPT is going to erase it all. And the truth is, if a rich white person owns ChatGPT, they can make that algorithm say whatever they want. It does not have to be ethical. It does not have to be evidence-based. And that's scary to me because we have women of color that have spoken out about Silicon Valley and told us, yeah, it's not written for people of color. It's written for I mean, should we say people without color <laughs> or monoracial people? Like at this point, it's just it's like how much more hypocrisy should we put up with before we start holding people accountable? And that's what really hit me in the gut this week was when I started talking about human rights, my ability to like certain posts got taken away. My ability to comment on certain posts got taken away. My ability to follow new accounts got taken away. And Instagram's little bubble that popped up said, sorry, this feature has been removed from your abilities in order to protect our community. When I hear our community and it doesn't include me, I hear that's a community for people other than me. I feel excluded. It doesn't feel good to be excluded. And it doesn't feel good that I have to shut up and be silent and I can't and I'm censored to earn the right back to participate in a community that didn't want me there in the first place. And that's what I'm seeing with a lot of solidarity around the world with this Gaza situation. When you see people support Gaza citizens. We're not supporting somebody because they're ethnically Palestinian. We're not just supporting somebody because they might have the same religion as us. We see ourselves in Gaza. We see that if a rich white person can come from another country and take the keys and take a home from somebody else who's lived there for years and their families lived there for years, if that can happen to a Gaza citizen, What's stopping it from happening to us? Nothing. At this point in the world, nothing. And that's scary. And I've been raised to speak truth to power, even if your voice shakes, even if it's hard. And I honestly believe with advocacy, we need that right now. And I saw a quote the other day that said, If you're being silenced, question the person that is silencing you. So I do have to question, what is the point of me posting human rights and being shut down? Do you deserve my other content? Probably not. So what happened this week is I was kind of on this rampage of posting about human rights. And for me, it's not even about neutrality. It's just like, It's a common denominator. We are all humans. Why wouldn't you care about humanity? I don't get it. But apparently Instagram didn't like that. And so what do I go when people don't like me? I go to a different platform. Diversify your portfolio, right? So I have my podcast. 
And I was on a podcast host. I thought, welcome to free speech. And so I made a podcast all about how I, it wasn't even ranting and raving about stuff. Like, I'm not even talking about stuff that I don't know about. I can literally send you a, you know, any resources you need. Like, I get it. I'm not an expert. I'm not, like, this is just my take on certain things. But I can back up my thoughts of what got me to this point, right? But my podcast episode wasn't even about that. It was just about human rights and why it's important for neurodiversity. And immediately after I posted that episode, I got an email from my podcast hosting service that says, oh, well, your entire podcast account has been deleted. And to put this in the frame of reference, so when I made a podcast, I make an account on a platform and then you make the show. So they could have deleted an episode. They could have deleted just the show itself. But no, they deleted the entire account and said that it came up as spam and said that I had 30 days to try and get the show recovered. And why was this a big deal? Because I am very much a type A person. So I had all my recordings and all my, I had 23 episodes on there scheduled to go out bi-weekly because that was my plan. And that's what they tell you about podcasts. They recommend that you do about like three shows the first time, definitely do a trailer in the beginning, and then choose either a weekly schedule or a bi-weekly schedule. And bi-weekly definitely worked and appealed for me. It was less stressful. And I'm the type of person, I love to plan things out. I have a calendar in front of me. I go ahead and schedule it. I made a plan. And I was really looking forward to marketing and, you know, drawing people in to listen to my guests because my guests are authors. My guests are really cool people. I want people to hear our conversations. So I felt really hurt. And I took it very personally. And so I'm sure you saw on social media my post where I, yeah, I was silenced. I was silenced. I had been silenced all week. And I finally been silenced where I thought I'd be safe. And I was not. So I posted on social media. Thank you guys so much for commenting and showing me love and care and concern. Um, I mean, there's so much going on in the world. My little issue with drama has is like a blip on the map believe me but for me it definitely was a lesson learned I today woke up and got the email and said that oh sorry it just came up on the spam sorry it got deleted which doesn't make sense to me if it was spam why wouldn't you delete one episode why wouldn't you delete the show or why would you take down the whole account and not even let me log in. It didn't make sense to me. So once I gained control back, I took it off. I'm on a different podcast platform and I'm sure they have the ability to take me down too. Um, I'm sure that's every podcast platform's right. And I'm not saying that I shouldn't be held accountable if I say something wrong. I want to be held accountable if I say something wrong. But if I'm saying something that is very positive and is in support of human rights, I don't understand the point of censorship. 
especially when we have people speaking in form of human rights and they're getting fired. They're getting turned down from law school. They're getting shunned in the media. So there's a lot of people online right now saying, well, why are you being silent? Why aren't you helping us? We, some people are being silenced. Some people do want to help. People are scrambling online to see how to help every way. And the problem is scammers see an opportunity. I've seen links where they say, oh, well, if you want to support Gaza or Palestine, just click on this link and then click this button. It's a scam, y'all. They're trying to get your information. They're trying to get your data. They're trying to exploit you for your care and concern and compassion to get their own personal gain. And that doesn't sit right with me. I mean, again, my old self would be like, well, hate the player, not the game. But that game is exploitation. That's not okay. And so going from here, I want this to be a timestamp almost. I hope going forward things change for the better. I don't know if they will. I feel good about this podcast. I feel honest about it. I feel like it's valuable information that people can listen to, take, absorb, learn, and maybe it'll inspire somebody else to be an advocate as well, carry on this torch. Um, I wouldn't even say that I'm burnt out. I don't feel burnt out. I do feel hopeful when I see protests across the world and people fighting propaganda and seeing through the misinformation online and not believing these lies because they're coming from our oppressors. Um, I'm sad about my current president. I'm sad about my vice president because she is a brown person. She comes from an Asian background. I wish, and even even the UK, the UK prime minister, he is from Asian background. Like, why are these people given power if they're not speaking truth to power? No, they're happily going to gatekeep and they're happily going to keep that show going. So in honor of not gatekeeping, I want to tell you exactly how I did this podcast. So how it came about when I was talking to wonderful Elizabeth, I happened to go to Five Below and I saw a USB computer microphone. Now, you don't have to buy that. You don't have to but I, I got it for $10, I'll be honest. But you can use your phone. There is There are several podcast platforms where you can just use your phone um, and a simple headset plug-in. Um, and you can be solo. You can do a solo podcast. If you want to do a weekly podcast, a monthly podcast, it doesn't matter. If you just want to get your voice out, you can. And I think we need more of that because diversity is beautiful. And I want to empower people to start their own podcast like that. It's awesome. Um, I'm sad my coaching didn't take off, but maybe it's for a good thing. You know, maybe you don't want to learn neuroaffirming parenting from me. Maybe you want to learn it from a therapist or somebody who considers themselves an expert. That's great, too. Um, I feel guilty that I can't always respond, talk or communicate to people that I want to. Um, because I am 
a wife and a mom first. I have that is my main priority. The podcast is really just a hobby. Social media is really just a hobby. Um, I don't really have office hours, as you can tell with my posts. Like I would post at any time. I don't recommend it. Um, it's just how my brain operates. Um, but when it comes to once you have an idea and you think you want to make a podcast, choose a graphic platform that you're comfortable with. A lot of people like Canva. Um, I personally like Adobe Express. Make a logo. Have fun with it. Um, play around with it. You're gonna have to learn how to make uh, covers for your podcast. It's better to make them individualized for each episode. Um, also look out for free guides. Just Google new podcast creation guide. There's so many free guides out there and a lot of them are really good or watch and listen to podcasts that you really like. Go on YouTube and search people that have the computer you have, have the phone you have, have the equipment you have and see how they use it. Um, me personally, I have a Microsoft computer and so I use Audacity, which is open access. It's free. Um, you do have to teach yourself. They do come with tutorials. Um, it's pretty fairly basic, easy to learn. I use uh, free music archive resources. And I, me personally, I, I do feel like I had to reach out to artists and just say thank you. But he even he told me he was like, no, like you can use my music. You don't even have to credit me. Just credit crediting a musician for their music when it's free is just a nice thing to do. It's an ethical thing to do. So I do recommend it because maybe somebody else is trying to start a podcast and wants to know where to get their music from. And I mean, a lot of these artists produce a lot of good material and they post it. And it's just a nice way to create another community where you can be supportive. So what I do is, let's say example of this one. So for my podcast, I would upload the first uh, intro music, kind of know where to come in. And then um, I do use, well, you can use Microsoft Word or Google Doc or your, whatever you prefer, but I'll go ahead and pretty much figure out what I want to be in my show notes. So I just copy and paste each time. It makes it easier. But for my script, I kind of keep it conversational, you know, do an outline so you know what you want to talk about. But when it comes to interviews, I, I'm still sad about it. I wanted to use Microsoft Teams because I love Microsoft Teams, but they don't allow you to record. And my computer, like if I wanted to use Microsoft uh, ChipChamp or any like screen recording software, that would just be too much RAM. It wouldn't work out. Um, but the best software I found was Zoom. And so I got 40 minutes free. And then I would just ask my guests, like, hey, do you have time? Um, take a two-minute pause, use the same link, budget the time for a longer space of time, and then we rejoin with that same link, and I get another 40 minutes. Was it a little inconvenient? Yeah, but I'm really happy that I was honest and upfront with my guests, and we had we budgeted for time so we could have that recording. Um, it made it a whole lot easier. I I did almost want to have an option where like people could call in because I have like a Bluetooth speaker and I could just put it next to a mic and have it recorded. Um, I am feeling kind of bittersweet now because like I literally just got this really cool mic um, and a really cool sound pad. So I am playing around with the idea of making 
another podcast, maybe more unhinged with my thoughts where I can just talk about whatever I want. Um, but I'm not set in stone. I think I need to take a break. I think I want to enjoy this time where this advocacy has kind of wrapped itself up because we've moved on from public school, moved on from virtual school. We're currently doing homeschool. My kids like it. I feel good because, you know, we do live in a kind of a bubble, but they're safest at home. I mean, whatever goes on in the outside world, we are keeping them safe. I don't have to worry about them hearing about certain terms or propaganda at school. I don't have to worry of like, oh, are they going to be on the bus and see some graphic image that a kid shows them? And I know that's kind of privileged. I feel so bad for families that can't homeschool. I wish it was more accessible. I hope going forward that it becomes more accessible. Or that we just fix the public school system and become more neuroinclusive. I see a lot of people talking about science of reading, science of math, and doing webinars and taking it seriously and understanding evidence-based procedures are needed. And there's a lot of great people doing training and offering information. And my hope is that we do become more neurodiversity friendly or neuroaffirming. But until that day comes, I know there's a lot of work to be done. And for me personally, I'd rather focus on my personal life. And I don't know if that's like a famous quote or whatever, but I remember always hearing growing up, like, well, if you know, you practice or if you have ethical practices in your own home, hopefully that work will reflect on the outside world. And I don't want to leave on a bad note. I want to leave on a hopeful note. So while I might not be posting on Instagram, I might be, I might just need to find another platform. Um, if there's anybody making platforms, please make them inclusive for neurodivergent people that like to rant and rave. Um, <laughs> any free speech just to <laughs> exist. But I'm so grateful for this experience. I've learned a lot. I definitely feel more empowered. I don't feel as insecure as I used to. I feel more confident. I am writing more. And when I was limited from my podcast, it inspired me to write a Medium post. And I already have a neurodivergent lawyer that responded and was like, yeah, we need this. This is so important. I'm like, yeah, yes, please talk about it. Um, So I think it's so cool that You know, it's easy to focus on pain and sadness, but when you process that pain and you get a new and you gain a new perspective, looking back and seeing how far you've come, it's important to understand that there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a use in looking up. There is a valid reason for persevering and I don't want my listeners to feel like I'm quitting or giving up I feel like this is a end of one chapter 
and hopefully a beginning for a new chapter that is more neuroinclusive. Um, but I just want to say thank you. You know, if you like this, if you share this, great. Um, but I am perfectly okay with this just being existing. I'm proud of it. I look at it as like a gallery of work at this point. And I'm so happy that I forced myself out of my comfort zone and I got empowered by friends and I was able to be guests on other people's podcasts. And I'm, I hope that you start a podcast. I hope that this inspires people to think outside the box and talk more and understand that hobbies aren't something that should we should be ashamed of. We should definitely encourage people to do hobbies more. And there is a value in doing something, even if you're not getting paid. If you're not, you know, seeing a monetary gain, that's okay. If you feel good about creating something, that's important. So I won't ramble on too much longer. I hope you have a wonderful day. I, of course, this is happening right before my birthday and right before holiday season. Um, <laughs> so I was gonna, I, mean, I keep teasing everybody and saying, I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break, but I am for real. I do need to take a break. I need to just take a step back and focus on thinking, what can I do in my life at this time with all the knowledge I have and where or how can I make the biggest impact that is high quality and not just quantity. So I don't know if that's social media. I don't know if that's blogging. I don't know if that's writing or podcasting. Maybe it is. Um, and I would even say, like, don't, I don't want you to support me just because you like, like, cool. I love that I've met and talked with like a lot of wonderful people, but I want my work to precede me. And so if we reconnect in the future, like, cool, like I'm excited for it. If you want to stay in touch, email me. I'll still have access to the email, theneuroaffirmingparent at gmail.com. Um, but I think it's okay to be on social media. I think it's okay to exist in the human world. Um, it is funny to me, though, how we started this decade talking about meta and the metaverse. And I'm like, why can't all the wars go there? Um, why can't all the real estate go there? You want to buy land in the metaverse? Go ahead. But... <laughs> That's the kind of thoughts, the unhinged thoughts, I think, may be best suited for another podcast. I don't want to cloud anybody's judgment. But thank you so much for listening. And this is the Neuroaffirming Parent signing off.